Good morning. What child is this? Uh, that's kind of the inspiration of our lives right now, uh, especially as Advent and the coming of Christmas when we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This uh, Sunday and the next following Sundays, I'm hopeful that we can have a, a time of meditation out of the Word as we reflect upon who Jesus is. Uh, not so much how-to messages, but who Jesus is. And who Jesus is to me and to you. As I was thinking about the birth of Jesus and Christmas and perceptions of Christmas, uh, I googled Christmas. And Wikipedia came up, and the very first sentence of Wikipedia reads this way. Christmas is an annual commemoration of the birth of Jesus Christ and a widely observed holiday celebrated generally on December 25th by billions of people around the world. Bart Simpson <laughs> said Christmas is a time when people of all religions come together to worship Jesus Christ. Out of the mouth of babes, great truth sometimes emerges billions all religions it should be it should be if we got the real story and that's what I want us to get the real story of Christmas in a word the real story of Christmas is much bigger, more glorious, and much more life-changing than ever imagined. Will you turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the very first verse. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness to the light. 
There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Unbelievable. Truly unbelievable. You know, I wonder, did, did any of those who were a part of the very birth of Jesus Christ, did they get the real Christmas story? Did they get what was really happening? Did the angels, even they who announced his birth, did they get what was happening? Did the shepherds who bowed before him, did they get what was really happening? Did Mary, whom Luke tells us, Mary pondered all these things in her heart, but did she really get it? Here's what really happened. We have the account of Matthew and of Luke, but John, the fisherman, gives us this account, and it begins with these words, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Why did John the fisherman start this way? Why begin the story by calling Jesus the Word? And in the language, the Word is a translation of a Greek word, logos. Why logos? Why not the sun? In the beginning, there's power in the word. <laughs> in the beginning, could you do that now? <laughs> in the beginning was the sun. And the Son was with God, and the Son was God. 
Why not Messiah? In the beginning was the Messiah. And the Messiah was with God. And the Messiah was God. Any number of words, any number of titles, John could have used, but he uses this word, the word logos. At the time, it was a very practical word. Do you know what logos means? Well, it means word. But it also means more. Like the word I was thinking, and we just, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And if I say Thanksgiving and then I say dressing, in the kitchen, dressing means one thing. But in the hospital, dressing means another thing. The word logos means word. But it means much more. And I think John chose it because he wanted to get the word out. He wanted to get the truth out. He wanted to raise, enlarge, expand people's understanding of what happened in the birth of that child. He used this word, a word so practical and yet so philosophical. A word that could touch every person in the cosmopolitan culture of the day. A word that was a pass key to the minds and hearts of the people at every level. A word that spoke no matter where people stood. Even before John, philosophers, Greek, and Jewish, used the word logos to talk not just about the importance of a word to a sentence or a verse, but the importance of the Logos to the universe. John would go on to say more than any would ever say using the word Logos. Not out of great ingenuity on his part, but out of what a great God has done for our part. Some 200 years before John, and there's been so much written on this, but nothing more succinctly and profound than that written by St. Jerome. You probably don't know about Jerome, but just to give you a postage stamp picture of the man, he's called a saint by the Catholic Church, the patron of scholars, librarians, and students. Perhaps more than anything, he's important to the history of the church, not only for his writings, his insights on the meaning of Holy Scripture, but he was asked by the Pope to translate the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into Latin, known as the Vulgate. It was the Bible of the Christian world, the Christian Latin-speaking world for over a thousand years. He wrote in a letter these words 
Was John a fisherman, coarse, and untaught? If so, where did he come up with the words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God? He explained, logos in Greek has many meanings. It stands for a word or the expression of inner thought. It also stands for reason or the inward thought itself. It stands for reckoning, an accounting of what is. And Logo stands for the creative cause and sustaining power of everything that exists. All of these meanings, he concluded, we correctly apply to Christ. What word would you use to capture what's unable to be captured or to fathom what's unable to be fully understood? Incredible. Unbelievable. Not in the sense that it isn't true, but in the, in the way sports writers and sportscasters exclaim when they've seen something that just boggles the mind. They've seen it with their own eyes and they, they holler, unbelievable! In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What Word would we use of Him by whom all things were made? And of all that was made, not one thing was made that He did not make. What word would we use in the universe of Star Wars? It's the Force. In the world of AA and addiction recovery, it's the higher power. In the world of science, physics, and astrophysics, it's the laws of nature. In a world without God, it's evolution. In a world of much, much, much more, it's an intelligent designer. In the Word of God, it's the image, and this is a beautiful definition of the way Logos was used. It's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things have been created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. What was it St. Jerome said was the meaning of the Logos? 
the creative cause and sustaining power of everything that exists. And John chose this word, which on the one hand, in a verse, shows the importance of a word as the expression of intent, of the mind, of the heart. And yet, as men and women contemplate the meaning of the universe, this word stands for the ground and the very being of all that we see and all that is. Unbelievable. But there's more. There's much, much more. By the way, on um, Friday after Thanksgiving, we uh, spent the day with our grandson, Cassian. It was his fourth birthday. And it was a beautiful day. We were on the coast. It was picture perfect. Not too cold, not too hot, not a cloud in the sky, no strong winds, just beautiful. And as the day closed, we walked to the edge of land, and we stood there and watched the sunset. And it was still, and the sun, I mean, it was just this incredible globe and the sky, cloudless. And it was just blue to the sea. And then sea, almost as it were, to our feet. With this disk, this glowing, flaming disk, just settling in, as it were, as the earth turns and disappearing. It was majestic. It was beautiful. It was glorious. I don't know if it's the way my mind works, but I was overwhelmed. I, I sensed my true smallness. I mean, as I gazed out on that water, I was reminded we can, we can fly for hours over the ocean. Hours! You can get lost in the sea. And in space... You can get lost in space. And our God is the creator of all of that vast majesty. And John tells us the Word became human. The Word became a person. John uses the word flesh to impress upon us that he is a real human, a real person. And he begins on this mind-boggling note to make sure that we read the rest of the story correctly. He wants us to realize that Mary's child, the man from Galilee who walks with, eats with, and plays with real flesh and blood human beings, is none other than the maker of the universe. The man who laughs so hard that the religious establishment concludes he's drunk. 
The man who weeps so deeply at the grave of his friend Lazarus that he is none other than the ground of all being, of water, who himself was tired and thirsty and had to ask a Samaritan woman for a drink, but is the one who in the beginning made the first hydrogen and oxygen atoms and determined that two hydrogen and one oxygen make water. Nothing in all human literature, nothing in all the myths we humans use to make sense of human experience can compare with the real Christmas story. I read that there are 10 billion trillion stars in the known universe. Ten billion trillion. See, I had to read that because I don't know that on my own. And you don't either, probably. I, don't, I know we have some astronomers in our midst. But by, that's by conservative estimate. And that estimate is a 10 followed by 15 zeros. By Him, by the Logos, all things were made. At the center of our solar system is the star we call the sun. Every minute the sun pours out six billion quadrillion calories of heat. That's something I had to look up. Because otherwise I only know it as the warmth of the midday. That's six followed by 27 zeros every minute. By Him all things were made. Yet the energy produced by our sun is nothing compared to that of a galaxy recently discovered by astrophysicists some 300 million light years away. It shines with two trillion times the power output of our sun. Two trillion times greater. The numbers stagger, stagger the imagination. Get this, when Caesar Augustus thought he ruled the world, the one who uttered the galaxies and their stars into whirling space lay speechless in a cattle trough. When Quirinius was the governor of Syria, the star maker himself entrusted himself to a teenage girl. When Herod the Great was strutting his pomp and power, God the Logos needed a mother to feed him and change him. The term theologians use for this miracle of miracles is the word incarnation. In fleshness. Christmas is celebrating the enfleshment of the Creator. This is the sign. You will find a baby lying in a manger. Unimaginable, unbelievable, incredible. N.T. Wright, in an article titled, What is this word? said this, Look at this man of flesh and learn to see the living God. 
Max Lucado said it this way, There was one who, while wearing the face of a Jew, had the image of the Creator. Many have tried to express the wonder. St. Augustine of the third century tried. He it is by whom all things are made, who was made one of all things. The maker of the sun made under the sun. Author of the heavens and the earth. Sprung under the heavens, out of the earth. Utterly wise in his wisdom, a babe without utterance. Charles Wesley of the 18th century tried. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with us to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. C.S. Lewis of the 20th century. In our world, a stable once had something in it bigger than the whole world. Musicians Stuart Townsend and Keith Getty tried. Hands that set each star in place shaped the earth in darkness. Cling now to a mother's breast, vulnerable and helpless. Lucy Shaw, a Christian poet, in a poem called Mary's Song. Quiet he lies, whose vigor hurled a universe. He sleeps, whose eyelids have never closed before. Older than eternity, now he is new. Now native to earth as I am, Nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free, blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to this birth for me to be newborn, and for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. Unbelievable. The Word in the beginning become flesh, changes everything. The implications of the real story of Christmas are staggering. Much bigger, more glorious, much more life-changing than ever imagined. If the real story be told, when we humans have been granted then unbelievable dignity, If the real story be told, we discover the unbelievable depth of the love of God. If the real story be told, we have unbelievable comfort in our suffering. If the real story be told, we have unbelievable hope for our future. If the real story be told, the unbelievable claims of Jesus have earth-shaking claims for us. And if the real story be told, we realize how unbelievably right it was for shepherds to fall down before this baby and worship Him. Much bigger, more glorious, and much more life-changing than ever imagined. 
who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So vast, so great, so much bigger than we can even understand. And yet, isn't that why he became one of us? A servant? Obedient unto death? The curse for our own failures, shortcomings, inattention, disregard, and rebellion against God. Obedient to death, even the cross, for you and for me. It was interesting to me this week how just thinking about that, it's, you can't get your head around it, but I just kept thinking, the Creator became a child. The Creator became one of us. And it, it just changed the way I looked at so much of my daily life, my world, the people around me. It didn't dismiss me or exempt me for some, from some of the struggles I have. But what a perspective. And it humbled me and made me dependent upon him. And I encourage you to begin this Advent by realizing that the Creator cares for you in such a way as to become one of us and suffer all the diminishments and challenges and hardships that we have. But with a purpose, a redemptive purpose, to win us and restore us once again to a right relationship with the One who created us, to His love, to His hope, to His purpose for our lives. And that is what we remember on this first day of December, this first Sunday, this Advent Sunday. As we consider what Jesus offers us as He did His very first disciples in the bread, which stood for something much, much more, and the cup, gathering up all the history and tradition of God's dealings with His people, He summed it up all in this bread and this cup. This bread and cup which celebrated the redemption of His people from tyranny and oppression in Egypt. An exodus, a way out. And it is offered to us in Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection. This bread, my body. This cup, the new covenant. A new beginning. 
an entirely new beginning. Just like you, (laughs) you might not think it, but pastors are just like you. Um, They have bad days. Some bad days are Sundays. We don't always wake up on top of the world. And yet the challenges are so lofty and noble. And sometimes we just feel completely unworthy. It doesn't take much to feel unworthy in the face of God. We become sensitive to all the little selfish things, all the little annoyances and trivia All the little things that captivate us and capture our hearts and minds that are so small compared to the plans and purposes that God has for us. It is always, each and every day, settled at the cross in what Jesus Christ did there. Each and every time. And that's always what makes us worthy. Whether it's a person or a thing or a difficulty, whatever was burdening you as you came to worship the Lord today, to really celebrate the birth of our Creator is to celebrate what He has accomplished for us in this incredible, unimaginable, unbelievable feat of love and sacrifice. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. 